Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are hers and hers and his. Three's company too. Come and dance on our floor. Come and dance on our floor. Take a step that is new. Take a step that is new. We've a lovable space that needs your face. Three's company. All you Ronsonettes and Russell's Peanut Butter Cups, still got it. Welcome to episode 21 of All You Ever Think About is Sparks, the only and therefore best podcast about the music of... That statement is incorrect, Christian. Wait, what? Yes, it's me. Computer Girl from the song Computer Girl. Ron, Russell, and Ed Wright have been hosting a limited-time-only podcast all about Sparks music. You mean... There's an official pod now? What am I going to do? I have cats to put through art school. As I said, it is limited time only. The podcast series ends July 23rd. Well, I was going to say the more the merrier, but... Okay, computer girl, where can people find this pod? It's called the Sparks Brothers Podcast, and you can find it wherever you download or stream your favorite podcasts. May I leave now? Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, computer girl. Just don't uh, go leaving dongles all over the place. Puny human. Okay, so at the moment, this isn't the only Sparks podcast. And I dare you to do a Google search for Sparks and podcasts. Okay, first off, yes, you will be deluged with random things that have nothing to do with the band, but you will eventually find podcast episodes all over the internet from folks like Rolling Stone Magazine to Uber Nerd Chris Hardwick, all trying to get a piece of that sweet, sweet Sparks action. Why? Well, here's one reason. The now legendary documentary by Edgar Wright, the Sparks Brothers, is in theaters across the globe and just became available for streaming. I'm sorry, I can't be more specific than that. Just go to your favorite search engine to see where and how in your region you can watch this incredible film. Now you get the one-two punch of major documentary film and boom, a Hollywood movie musical. Yes, Annette, starring Adam Driver, Marianne Cotillard, directed by Leo Carax, is now here. It made its can debut on July 6th. It will be released in cinemas worldwide on August 6th. Yes, those things do exist again. And it will be available for streaming via Amazon on August 20. It's getting rave reviews. I don't know when Ron and Russ have the time to sleep, but don't worry about them. They'll be fine. Meanwhile, here is a clip from the first single from the soundtrack album of Annette. And now, may we start. So, may we start? It's time to start 
Finally, Ron, Russ, and company may finally be coming to your town in the flesh, really and truly this time. The tour kicks off February 7, 2022, in the boys' hometown of Los Angeles. Again, I'm Christian Huey. I write these episodes. I have friends and books and the internet to help me. I'll be setting up a Patreon soon so that I can find the time and the resources to make more episodes more frequently and to upgrade my studio gear. More about that at a later date. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find the podcast's Facebook page. It's called All You Ever Think About Is Sparks, or you can old school email me at podcastsparks at gmail.com. Okay, let's do this here show. Okay, a little bit about me. As a precocious little tot in the early 80s, my favorite, quote, grown-up show, hands down, was Three's Company. Personal story. I vividly remember a swim instructor coming to our daycare for a few weeks in the summer to teach oblivious three-year-olds like me how not to drown. His name was Jack, and I had convinced myself that he was the very same guy whose pratfalls I cracked up over countless nights gazing and giggling at the TV from the floor of our living room. The image I still have seared into my brain from binging on that show was that of Jack Tripper cycling down the Santa Monica Pier, suddenly distracted by a pretty lady and pitching sideways onto the beach. I, as a little kid, idolized Jack, but I didn't much mind looking at Janet and Chrissy either, nor the parade of girls that Jack and Larry would pursue. Obviously, I had no clue what sex was, but even though I was just a year or so out of diapers, I was strangely drawn to those bouncing, grinning ladies and the slashes of red or pink lipstick. Once I learned that this Southern California place was a real place, sadly, a faraway place from Austin, Texas, I grew more interested in portrayals in the media of that easygoing, sunny paradise that made its way to my tiny little eyes and ears by way of TV radio, magazines, and billboards. The Sparks album that we're looking at in this episode, Introducing Sparks, makes me feel the way I felt as a tiny kid watching Three's Company. I get the same aesthetic impression, those bright, sunny exteriors, and that playful sense of mischief. My parents hadn't yet introduced me to the world by 1977. I didn't exist. But belatedly, these two cultural artifacts make up a lot of my own vicarious memories, quote, unquote, of that year. Ron and Russell Mayle, whom I was obviously oblivious to at that tiny age, have spoken fondly of their native SoCal over the decades, particularly L.A., where an enterprising person can be whatever the hell they want to be, and the possibilities are endless for a hungry artist or actor or musician. Now, to pick up where we left off in our story. Despite the relative disappointment of their 1976 Big Beat album and uncharacteristically meat-and-potatoes rock venture, Sparks still believed that California potentially had something good in store for them. And after the mail sent the rest of the band packing, 
they stuck around. Anyway, it was nice to be home again. Sparks were still on Columbia Records' good side after the Big Beat album and tour, and the label sought to represent them globally, not just stateside. That meant that Ireland and the UK would have to give up their stake in the band, which was not an agonizing choice on their behalf. Ireland had finally given up on their dream of Sparks being the label's next Roxy Music, and so they were fine with leaving them in Columbia's hands. As it turned out, Columbia's hands had even greater plans, and they soon made it clear to Ron and Russ that the brothers were to play by their rules for Sparks' next LP. The deal was straightforward enough. You two write a batch of songs for Russ to sing, and we'll take care of the rest. Columbia wanted a record that would sell this time, and the execs thought they knew better than anybody how to cut a hit record. The ironic title, Introducing Sparks, was initially an offhanded joke by Ron when asked for ideas for the new album's title. Perhaps for slightly different reasons, the label loved it and ran with it. Ron and Russ digged the obvious irony of introducing being the title of their seventh album. Columbia Records thought that they would literally be introducing the band to a vast new audience. Ron and Russell pushed to have Bob Ezrin produce. Ezrin had established himself in crafting a grand theatrical style to recent albums by Alice Cooper, Lou Reed, and Peter Gabriel. After Ron submitted a batch of songs to Ezrin, however, Ezrin promptly declined the job, which was a less than auspicious start to the proceedings. According to friend of the pod, Rudd Swart, Ezrin's reply to Ron after listening to the demos was, okay, now play me your A-sides. Ouch. After casting about for a bit, Columbia A&R man Terry Powell tapped himself to take up the reins, and the brothers would assist. Powell hadn't many producing credits to his name at that point, and it was completely unknown outside the industry. Now, Sparks actually saw this as a potential net benefit, as the new record wouldn't be burdened by the weight of expectations had a well-known producer taken charge. Columbia got to work on an extensive promotional campaign, aggressively aiming to reintroduce Sparks to those who knew about them and to introduce them for the first time to the legions of music fans and record buyers who never would have bothered with this act if not for Columbia's mighty influence. Listen to this copy from an early 1977 promo ad. A late summer single is planned in front of the album's release. This should be the perfect setup for an album that is destined to become a rock classic. The transition is complete. The challenge has begun. Ron and Russell Mayle are willing to meet the cream of rock and roll bands on their own turf. It's an event not to be missed. All right. Sounds like it's going to be a uh, U, uh, UFC tournament. Maybe the choice of producer wouldn't set anyone's expectations, but a sales campaign like that sure might. Speaking of odd PR and these pronouncements of a new, better, shinier, fitter, happier Sparks, nowhere is it explained, shown, or frankly heard exactly what this big makeover is supposed to be about. It was a weird tack for Columbia to take, and in hindsight, probably was never thought through. One thing was new, however, and that's that Ron and Russell had no band. But this time, instead of auditioning a steady lineup for both the album and supporting tour, the males decided to fully embrace the idea of Sparks as a duo and, to use a contemporary phrase, outsource the music. 
They would employ a cast of unknown session players and would simply use each player as they were needed in the studio. And this would be dictated by the song's arrangements. Ron and Russ could now keep their focus on the songs themselves. And for the first time in a long while, Russ would contribute to the writing process too. Once the studio sessions kicked off, however, whatever cautious optimism had buoyed the brothers' spirits very soon sank. The band, or band in quotes, set up shop in the acclaimed Larrabee Studios on Sunset Boulevard. Ron and Russell came armed with a couple handfuls of predictably quirky and oddball songs, at least that's how they were often received by middle-of-the-road aesthetically conservative engineers, session players, and producers. As Daryl Easley described in his Sparks bio, introducing Sparks represents a meeting of two very different approaches, maverick outsiders and slick specialists. The players hired on to play the parts were generally technically skilled, competent, and professional. But depending on who you ask today, the sessions were either infuriating and depressing, or they were liberating and rewarding. Likewise, the hired guns brought into the studio were either enthusiastic and grateful about the freedom that they were granted to play how they wanted, or they were overpaid, surly, lazy twats who chafed under Ron and Russ's micromanagement and let it be known. In Ron's words from 1982, these guys were getting a quarter of a million dollars a year and they bitched constantly. Most of our songs aren't three chords. They couldn't play in the keys we wanted to. It was a joke. Ron declared after the sessions that he would never work in that setting again. While complimenting players on their technical skills, Ron summed it up this way. There's absolutely no feeling or personality in anything they're doing. Russell echoed those sentiments in 2003. It sounds somewhat bereft of personality, Russell told Record Collector magazine. It was pretty boring using session musicians. These guys come in, get paid 480 bucks for a half hour, and they just assume the first take is fine, because if it is, they can leave. As it happened, several of Introducing's session players went on to become highly regarded musicians in their own right. Fifteen different players can be heard on the final album, ten more than on the previous album. Among that group were several future members of Toto and the great Lee Retinur, pardon me if I'm mispronouncing, on rhythm guitar. Engineer Al Capps had a long-established and well-regarded career working with straight-up pop acts like Andy Williams, uh, Johnny Mathis, Peggy Lee, and Frank Sinatra. One of the players who recalled the sessions fondly was guitarist Tom Rotella, who gushed. Ron and Russell were really fun because they just let me go. They told me to do whatever I wanted. They just let me cut loose. Introducing Sparks was released in the U.S. on September 27, 1977, and made its way across the pond one month later. It came months after Columbia's oddly hubristic PR campaign to announce the album's imminent release. Speaking of, uh, although a lot of the actual copy that got sent out to record stores, magazines, and the like came off a little... Uh, Okay. Uh, some now classic Sparks images came out of the photo sessions of that year. One pic depicted Russell stabbing his older brother to death for some reason. There was a shirtless Russell hugging the leg of a fit lady in her underwear, face cut off by the frame. And then there's the gorilla suit pics, one of which later found its way onto the cover of a compilation album. 
But the cover of Introducing Sparks really divides the room to this day. There's no clear front nor backside of the record sleeve. Ron, on one side, in a close-up, stares unsettlingly at you, while the more angelic-looking Russell gazes off out on the flip side. I can only imagine the creeps that record buyers must have felt faced face-to-face with an army of Rons and Russells staring straight into their helpless souls. A review at All Music described the cover, or covers, as garish. Spot on, in my opinion. Um, Those bright technicolor values that Olin Mills slash school picture poses of the faces and upper bodies in the frame like that, the kind of look that's the stuff of classic memes in 2021. Well, maybe... 2009 or so. The awful shirt, um, and can someone explain the pinky ring to me? Russell's hair looks cut weird. Ron's mustache looks trimmed weird. It's a weird album cover. It was such a non-punk type of album cover to have released in 1977. It actually would have been perfect for a post-punk album. However, probably fewer people felt the same in 1977, and in real time, it seemed to underscore how out of the loop Sparks were in regards to the pop music and pop aesthetics of that moment. And that reminds me, before we take our deep dive into the actual music on the record, let's talk again about California. This is Sparks's California record. This is their Beach Boys homage record. Yeah, it's a lot more than that, and many different genres get explored across the album's nine songs. That's Nine on the original release, by the way. Uh, But look no further than their choice of singles from the LP, and we can hear that Ron and Russ have a different kind of R&R on the brain, and it's the kind involving sandy beaches, the warm California sun, surfer girls catching a wave while sitting on top of the world. You know. The album's opener, the stomping A Big Surprise and the Giddy Over the Summer, both backed by the careening Forever Young, are chock full of Brian Wilson-style harmonies and even some Frankie Valley falsettos uh, in case the Wayback Machine wasn't already set for 1964 here. Truth be told, that's the most surprising thing about these songs in this album, uh, the overall aesthetic of introducing Sparks. It all ends up being surprisingly effective pop, pleasant, with enough of the weirdness in the lyrics and in Russell's voice to make it feel like a Sparks record and not say, you know, Frankie Valley. But what prompted this 60s throwback style? Sparks had always been fond of reaching back to the cabaret sounds of Weimar Berlin, but were people already retroizing the 60s in 1977? Can someone help me out here? Were they actually ahead of the curve on this one instead of looking in the rear view? It's a curious style for Sparks, Although they also take some rewarding sharp left turns, such as the Fiddler in the Roof-inspired barn burner goofing off. Okay, enough, let's get into it. The 2009 re-release of Introducing Sparks, which by the way was the first time it was released on CD, I do believe, included three bonus tracks, making 12 songs in total. So in this episode, we'll take a look at the first six songs out of that 12, and I'll do the second six on the next episode. No use in not pretending we don't know what we know We know a lot of things I know which muscle on your back every toe But you've had it on me I can tell from your eyes It's going to be that you 
Introducing opens with a two-note bass riff anchoring Ron's steady D chords on his electric piano. It's a grand entrance, if not all that fancy. It could be the first bars of a sitcom theme song of the day. I guess there's my sense memory of Three's Company uh, popping up again. And like a sitcom theme song, you can pretty much tell where the song is going, musically speaking, but it feels like it could be a fun ride nonetheless. The A up to D of the bass guitar has a ta-da type of cadence, telegraphing that the coming 40 or so minutes will be something akin to a magic trick. When Russell chimes in to sing the introductory verse, we can tell something is different here. It's an uncharacteristically low register for Russell. It's far from the falsetto Russell of the island years, but it's not quite the bratty adolescent delivery of Big Beat. He sounds somewhere between a newscaster and a game show host, albeit a singing one, uh, instead of sounding like a muse to Freddie Mercury now. Russell sounds like an inspiration for Devo's Mark Mothersbaugh. It's vaguely goofy, but decidedly arch. Ain't no use in our pretending we don't know what we know, he declares. We know a lot of things. The opening bar starts off in D major, and it ends in E minor with we know a lot of things. In the key of D, that's a one root to a two uh, minor. Then it's to the dominant A major with the line, we know a lot of things. Next, we're back at the tonic D, nice and orderly like. I know which muscle on your back and every toe. And then suddenly we're at the bridge. And it looks like we've abandoned the key of D, strictly speaking. A lot of borrowed chords here. The band works up tension by borrowing some surprising chords. Big surprise. It's a G major to a C major. A D sharp is a passing chord. And then we pivot back to a major, which again is our dominant for D. And that takes us comfortably back home to D. And Russell sings the chorus. I want a big surprise tonight. A really big surprise tonight. It's boy meets girl. And here we go once again. Here's the rest. Then, to make the question sound like a musical question, where is that Yankee ingenuity? Ends on the dominant A again, leaving us wanting to head back home to D. And that's what the band does. Rinse and repeat, for the most part. Here are the rest of the lyrics. Somebody told me how the motion picture would end. I turned and glared at them. And then I read the way the world was going to end. With a whimpering sound, not a banging away. I'm sorry I gave it away. I want a big surprise tonight, etc. Break the rules and make a fool out of me. Where is that Yankee ingenuity right now? I want a big surprise tonight. A really big surprise tonight. And then the song fades out. A big surprise is peppered with some frankly hilarious Frankie Valley style ultra falsetto background singing. A really big surprise! As well as some strategically placed which take the song even further back to the doo-wop of the late 50s. Remember the aggro garage rock stomp of big beat opener Big Boy? We're about 180 degrees removed from that kind of album opener. The goofiness is so in your face. It's no, quote, big surprise that a later track on introducing is titled Goofing Off. I'm not going to make any more jokes regarding the words big surprise, by the way. You're welcome. It's hard to imagine new Sparks fans fresh off of banging their heads to big beat, finding much to groove to with a big surprise. And as we'll see, record reviews of the time echo that sentiment. To these years, though, the song has aged very, very well, and it comes off as a fine genre exercise, as 
much of the album is, we'll see. Even if the actual playing on the recording is pretty vanilla. And the lyrics, I don't know. Ron and Russ, apparently, again, they collaborated on all these songs. Want their respective ladies to introduce some novelty into their sex lives? Sounds good to me. Hell, it's 1977. How about a key party and uh, partner swapping? A Big Surprise was released as a single in the UK, the Netherlands, Germany, not a whole lot of other regions. The B-side was Forever Young. Although Sparks didn't cut an official video for the song, there are a number of videos to be found on YouTube from contemporaneous performances on European TV. Sometimes lip-synced, sometimes not. Typically, Ron and Russ would be the only band members present, so as a viewer, one would need to suspend disbelief that these two guys were making as much noise as a dozen. Inspired by live performances from the second half of their Big Beat tour, most of these clips show Ron smashing his piano bench at or near the end of the song. Russell also wears an earring in one of the performances. Go figure. A Big Surprise did not chart. Here's the song. <laughs> A Big Surprise. No use in our pretending we don't know It's boy meets girl, and here we go once again. 
song two off of Introducing Sparks' Occupation, a delightfully droll laundry list of many of the possible ways one can choose to sell their labor in the frustrated, malaise-saddled capitalist society of the late 1970s. You can tell this isn't some gauzy-eyed, Penny Lane-style recounting of modern suburbia slash urbia, because Russell reminds you a few times, unless your daddy's rich, well, you got to pick your poison here. Built around a ceaseless series of staccato quarter notes on the high A key of Ron's electric piano, Occupation is nonetheless a fun song. There's some very catchy call-and-response bits during the verses when Russell delivers a line describing the job of a soldier-slash-cowboy-slash-g-man-slash-doctor and, uh, and is then answered by a Beach Boy-style from either a group of background singers or maybe just from Russell himself. Musically, again, occupation is simple, and it doesn't veer too far from the key of A major. It's one of the most commercial-sounding tracks on the album. Heck, it sounds like it could have been used for a Toyota ad. Uh, but there are some neat drum patterns here and there, and some well-placed hammer-ons and pull-offs on the guitar. The song is also funny. One of the funniest on the album, and a clue that if there's a central joke at the center of introducing Sparks, the punchline might be somewhere in here. Occupation was not released as a single, although Columbia saw fit to cut a promo video. In it, Ron and Russell are alone on a foggy soundstage with colorful stage lights and some oddly placed houseplants. Between glimpses of a scowling Ron at the electric piano, the camera sometimes spinning dizzily in circles, a more fey than usual looking Russell cosplays all the various professions listed in the song, even gingerly brandishing a fake pistol at one point. It's so uncool, it's one of the coolest things ever. Here are the lyrics. La la, an occupation. La la, an occupation. La la, an occupation for you. We cowboys are a hardy breed. We eat our beans and tumbleweed. We're good on horses, good with guns. We smell, but so does everyone. Ooh, la la, an occupation for you. La la, an occupation for you. We doctors are important men. We make you feel well again. You open wide and we look in and throw in several aspirin. Ooh, la la, an operation for you. Oops. Ooh, la la, an occupation for you. La la, an occupation for you. There are soldiers, sailors, stuntmen, jailers, jewelers, G-men, unless your daddy's rich. You need an ah, you need an ah, you need an occupation, need an ah, you need an ah, you need an occupation, la, la, occupation for you. We athletes run around and round, we moan and groan and hit the ground, and when we get to 35, we sell cosmetics and survive. La, la, an occupation for you, la, la, an occupation for you. There are bodyguards, bouncers, TV announcers, farmers, models, unless your daddy's rich, you need la, la, an occupation for you. How about salesmen, huh? We salesmen can sell a storm. We'll sell you blankets when you're warm. And if you're really, really warm, we'll sell you too. We've got that charm. And pilots, we pilots take you anywhere. We'll be your father in the air. We'll try to look calm and cool, but we're as scared as all of you. <laughs> there are soldiers and sailors, stuntmen, jailers, jewelers, G-men. Unless your daddy's filthy rich, you need la, la, an occupation for you. Here's that song, Occupation.
Song three is Ladies, a jaunty number that's a voyeuristic peek inside the narrator's fantasy life. Or maybe it's the narrator that's the voyeur. Anyway, he doesn't factor much into the narrative. It's mainly all those ladies. This is another song built around Ron's piano. He's powering much of the musical thrust with the constant, steady, eighth-beat triads. The song seems to be rooted in the key of C major, but there are plenty of chord changes that give real movement to the song. Plus, the band keeps the tempo dynamic. Most of it sounds like it's in 4-4, but maybe those with a better ear and more musical knowledge can set me straight. The opening bars have Russell, plus maybe some others, singing, cascading, over Ron's piano, very much keeping up the same early 60s aesthetic as the preceding couple of numbers. Toss in some generous ba-ba-bas elsewhere in the song, and we're somewhere near the cross at Beach Boys Lane in the Turtles Avenue. There's not a traditional chord verse structure here, which is somewhat interesting, and the use of maracas during the, what I'll just call the pseudo-chorus, add another layer of fun to the experience. The lyrics are even more fun than occupations. Ron and Russell paint a detailed tableau of famous ladies throughout history. They're all engaged in some quotidian activity that might be appropriate for each one in our narrator's mind, as he envisions hosting a perpetual house party. All these countless famous women show up every time his wife or girlfriend turns her back and they disappear like smoke when she returns. Here are those lyrics. Oh, 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 oh. Ladies, ladies, on the sofa next to me are Dinah Shore and Sara Lee. Ladies, ladies, in the backyard climbing trees are Princess Grace and Margaret Mead. Ladies, ladies, and you pull in the driveway. You've been out shopping. I gotta hide them. Hide all you ladies. Lie down and smile. They're all disappearing. And then right after, I welcome home my only lady. Ladies, ladies, Jackie's in the powder room. Lois Lane will be here soon. Ladies, ladies, Ava Braun is cracking jokes while Joan of Arc just sits and smokes. Ladies, ladies, when I call up some buddies, hey, come on over. There's ladies present. We'll be right over. The ladies hear me. They're disappearing. And then right after, my friends ask me, where are all the ladies? All of the ladies. Ladies, ladies, in the kitchen baking cake. In the kitchen baking cake is Betty Crocker. Ladies, ladies, Dolly Parton's in my pool, and Aunt Jemima's acting cool. Ladies, ladies, they're really great in person. They got me going, but I'm not pushy. Don't want to blow it. No six-packs know it. They started fading. Come back, my ladies. Where would I be without my ladies? Ladies. Here's song three off of Introducing Sparks. Ladies.
while Joan of Arc just sits and smokes. Ladies, ladies, when I call up some buddies, hey, come on over, there's ladies present, we'll be right over. The ladies hear me, they're disappearing, they're fading out now. My friends say, where are all the ladies? All of the ladies, all of the ladies, all of the ladies, 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 ladies. Ladies, ladies, in my kitchen baking cake is Betty Crocker. Number four, I'm Not. A rockier number than most of the rest of Introducing Sparks, I'm Not stomps and plods through Russell's shout-singing declarations of what he's currently doing or not doing. There's a vaguely creepy reverb on Russell's voice here, and it's interesting to hear his more aggressive vocal delivery on this otherwise lighthearted album. Whoever's on guitar here, Lee Rittenor, maybe? Someone help me out here. Uh, whoever it is gets a rare chance to lay down some vaguely chaotic guitar squeals near the end of the track. In my opinion, this is the least substantial song on introducing. Uh, by the way, uh, recent listeners of Sparks have found some parallels lyrically and musically between I'm Not and the 2020 cut I'm Toast. What do you think? Here are the lyrics. I'm not. I'm not. First I wake up and not shave. Not a very pretty day. Look at the time. It's time to not go out to work today. I'm not at my best today. I'm not getting dressed today. Look at the time. It's time to not eat lunch with you today. I'm not fooling when I say I'm not myself any day. I'm not. In or out or up or down. I'm not. Shutting up or yelling out. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not buying nothing new. And I'm not trying nothing new. No one makes me feel as though it matters what I do. I'm not watching my TV. I'm not reading magazines. And I'm not missing much. And that ain't hard for me to see. For you're not my type. But you can stay. That's long enough. Now go away. I'm not. In or out or up or down. I'm not. Shutting up or yelling out. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. First I wake up and not shave. Not a very pretty day. Look at the time. It's time to not go out to work today. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. This is the first time I've read those lyrics out loud, actually, to myself, and that's awfully depressing, wouldn't you say? Sounds like the ennui is back. Here's that song, 
I'm not. Forever Young. No, it's not Rod Stewart, thankfully, and it's not Bob Dylan or Blackpink either. Forever Young is the fifth and final track on side one of Introducing Sparks, and the song shows they haven't forgotten how to make a big rock gesture to end a side with. Forever Young sounds the most like the band did in their venerated island years than anything else on Introducing, and it's easy to see why it was an early pick for a single. Unfortunately, the song would end up languishing on side B of the two actual singles that were released from the album. 
although let's be fair, it's unlikely that a forever young A-side would have made a sizable difference to Sparks' commercial fortunes throughout 1977 and early 1978. It's a bit like Kimono My House Light in terms of the song's production. Adrian Fisher would have made the guitar go to weird and woolly places. Martin Gordon would have made the recording groove better. And Dinky would have, well, Dinky would have stitched it all together like Grandma's favorite quilt. But this is a pretty good facsimile of those golden years, which, as a reminder, were just a little over two years ago at this point. The song soars and the song rocks. Incidentally, my ears again recall contemporaneous Queen, uh, comparisons to contemporaneous Queen, or nearly contemporaneous Queen, since the song that comes into my mind is Don't Stop Me Now, and that, of course, was released in 1978 instead of 1977. The song opens with Ron once again banging out a few chords on the piano, possibly starting at A-flat major, ascending up a half-step and then another to B-flat. He repeats that progression to amplify the tension, and the second time around, he's buoyed by a guitar line and a kick drum. Russell then yells out, nearly shrieks out, All right! Sorry. All right! excuse me, at the climax of the intro, and then the band shifts into second gear with the drummer pummeling out the beat, similar to how Hilly Michaels might have done a year ago on Big Beat. The home chord of the song sounds to me like E-flat major. Again, I could be wrong. The song is three and a half minutes of building tension and releasing it with gusto. Russell's still using his radio-friendly lower register, but he's nearly as emotive as ever. You can tell he's enjoying the hell out of himself during the song's middle eight when he tunelessly declares, And I don't care what you do, babe, but as for me, I'm not going to change. Not one bit. I ain't getting older and grayer and fatter and stuff. Nuh-uh. Those lines, by the way, did not show up for me in my Google searches for the song's lyrics. Maybe they were added at the last minute. Anybody know? Uh, on its face, this song is a, obviously a fight against mortality. It's Dylan Thomas's rage against the dying of the light set to guitars and a rock and roll beat. The lyrics are telling of where Sparks felt like they were in the sweep of their career in late 1977. Although it's insane to think about it now, in 2021, with Sparks going stronger than ever and the male brothers well into their 70s, it's possible that Ron and Russ were afraid in 1977 that their best days were already behind them, even though they were only 29 and 32. Ron and Russ routinely caution not to interpret their lyrics literally and not to assume that the narrator is the songwriter. But the brothers were definitely feeling some insecurity about the state of their big project, something that they so far had spent their entire adult lives dedicated to. Was Sparks getting long in the tooth? Were the two brothers getting long in the tooth? Sparks hadn't been on the cutting edge for two albums now, and they felt in danger of losing the plot to the younger crop of punks and new wavers. Now, I was never able to listen to Forever Young with 1977 ears because I didn't have them, so I'm not sure how the song resonated with seasoned Sparks fans at the time. From the vantage of 2021, though, it comes through as one of Sparks' big statements of purpose. As the Sparks Brothers documentary showed so well, Ron and Russell have spent over 50 years pushing back against the inevitability of growing old and pushing back against any gentle slide into irrelevancy. 
By the way, a promo video was cut for Forever Young. Frankly, it looks like it was shot on the same day and on the same soundstage as Occupation's video, and it's visually less interesting than that video. The only curiosity is that Ron seems to be tentatively having a go at the parted new wave perm style that he would adopt during the marauder years of 1979 to 1980. Here are the lyrics in full. I'm going to beat the devil and stay forever. Forever young, forever young. I can't be pushed around and I won't get older. Forever young, forever young. Forever young, forever young, tonight and every night. Forever young, forever feeling right. I'll sit and watch the history books get thicker. Forever young, forever. I just refuse to be what I'm not this instant. I'll meet a million girls in a million places. Forever young, forever young, tonight and every night. Forever young, forever feeling right. You say I'm playing God, but you're old and wasted. Bright lights will burn forever and I'll still see them. I've broken every rule, and I'll break this last one. Forever young, forever. For me, the brightest highlight of their seventh album, here's Forever Young.
first song on side two and the final song that we're looking at for this episode is Goofing Off. And what a hell of a way they're going about it, too. The most out of left field of all the songs on Introducing Sparks, Ron and Russ marshal a team of unsuspecting studio hands into performing what every Sparks fan was salivating for at that point, a traditional Jewish klezmer wedding dance number. I don't know nearly enough about Jewish folk music to piece together this one musically, but it sure sounds like it's in G Lydian, which is defined by the fourth note in the G major scale being raised up a half step. And that raised fourth is what gives the music its exotic, uh, for lack of a better word, quality. Goofing off is raucous and hand clapping and foot stomping and a hell of a good time. The lead rock guitar intertwined with the violin takes the song to a whole other level. Lyrically, we're about 180 degrees away, once again, from Big Beat's Nothing to Do. In that song, recall, our narrator was drowning in boredom and ennui because there was, you know, nothing to do. By contrast, Goofing Off is a lusty celebration of sloth and shirking responsibility. If Sparks released it today, they'd probably go ahead and ditch the 70s-era niceties and just call it fucking off and be done with it. According to Sparksologist and writer Madeline Boccaro, Goofing Off was voted among the top most requested songs to be played at the final 21 by 21 show that Sparks put on in Nebworth, UK in 2008. Here are those lyrics. Well, the world has started spinning because the weekend is beginning. So grab anything that moves and bring some cash. Yeah, I'm looking at your body and I think I need your body. Yeah, the whole entire body. Bring it here. And we've got two days to try to forget a week of crap and crud. And we've got two days, so get over here. We're going to goof off good. Goofing off, goofing off. I can do it, do it, do it perfectly. Goofing off, goofing off. It's the only thing I gladly do for free. I'm going nonstop for 48 hours. Then I'll collapse right here. Then I'll be scooped up and carried to work. And propped up in a chair. Goofing off, goofing off, goofing off. Plow your way through Monday morning. Plow your way through Tuesday morning. Plow your way through Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, too. Then the world begins to spin and spin and spin and spin and spin, and I become a raving, raving, ranting fool. We're in the weekend. Don't blow it. Oh, no. Don't blow that two-day pass. We're in the weekend. So get up and go. Don't sit down on your ass. Goofing off. Goofing off. I can do it. Do it. Do it perfectly. Goofing off. Goofing off. It's the only thing I gladly do for free. I'm going nonstop for 48 hours. Then I'll collapse right here. Then I'll be scooped up and carried to work and propped up in a chair. Goofing off. Goofing off. Goofing off. Lechheim. Here's goofing off. Grab anything that moves and bring some cash 
Well, I'm so sorry to say that it's that time again, Sparks fans. The party must end for now. But I will be back with part two of Introducing Sparks in due time. Hopefully not too long. In the meantime, if you haven't, do go check out Edgar Wright's The Sparks Brothers again. And then brag to your friends that you knew about them before they were cool. Also, keep on the lookout for Annette. And have a great week. Bye, 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 bye. Thank you.
I'm lost somewhere and I don't know. My phone's dead, got no GPS. I'm just kind of drifting in circles. I'm not sure if you're ever gonna get this, but. Um, in those sailing lessons or science class or I wish I had spent more time thinking about those twinkling lights up there. I wish I spent more time appreciating your face. I wish I knew. I wish I were with you. Do you ever, could you ever, do you ever think to look up? Pat, 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 pat. Reminded me of a slaughterhouse I once worked at in Chicago.